All right, friends, welcome back to what you all have been anticipating and asked for. And no, you dirty minds, not a summer wet t-shirt contest. Although I'm not saying it's off the table if you're not. No, even better is part two with Kelsey Foremost. You are going to love this. She, we just go there and, you know, like Hollywood's tendency to keep apologizing for shit. I just couldn't stop. So here we go. Part two, Kelsey Foremost, let it roll. You are writing this memoir. So I'm curious is with everything you're saying right now, even though you've stepped out of the business, like, you know, that the, the reach that it has, like I mentioned yeah. Disney before and these fuckers still like keep, I like sleep with one eye open. Right. So yeah. Is there a part of you that is finding yourself holding back, writing your memoir, almost in fear of people in Hollywood, judging you, isolating you, even though you're not in it anymore, like, or canceling you, so to speak. Right. Like, do you find yourself checking yourself being like, do I put all this in there? Cause their reach is so immense. Um, I don't, I really don't because Good. for you, you shouldn't for because, what, again, for what, like, well, yeah, exactly. For what? And here's why the memoir is about my personal experience. And I know my personal experience. I know what happened to me. And I've done a lot of work really acknowledging in the first place, like this was <laughs> abusive. It was, it was abusive. And I think the reason I'm really not scared is because a lot of the stories I'm telling, they aren't gonna be the giant Harvey Weinstein like reveals talk to me about some of those things where you're like it's it's it wouldn't necessarily be as explosive or big but it's not yeah. right yeah I mean immediately a story comes to mind of uh, this happened to a friend not to me but mm -hmm. um we again in a Starbucks um yeah. she beautiful beautiful woman and uh we're the same age and someone came up to her and was like, are you an actor or are you a model? And she was both. And she said, yes. And he was like, I have, um, an agency, like, can I buy your coffee? And can I chat with you for a minute? Like, no problem. And it was very, very much like, um, meek, nice guy energy. Right. So she says, okay, she has some time. Um, and they sit down They're across from each other, again, seemingly very safe. Um, they talk for 10 minutes or so. It seems again, very normal. Um, he gives her his card. They exchange numbers, mm -hmm. And then he says, I know I'm not supposed to ask this, but how old are you? And she answers him and he says, oh, okay. So like, you need to start really wearing the sunscreen. And she was like, I'm sorry, because, you know, skin damage, wrinkles and stuff. And she was like, oh, right, right. And he takes his hand and he reaches across the table and Ew. he puts his palm on her, like on her chest, like over her heart. I'm gagging. Yeah. And he just goes, especially here, you need to protect here. And then he takes his hand away and he says, thank you so much for coffee. Um, I hope you reach out. And so she's just left sitting there in this Starbucks, like, what the fuck was that? He didn't touch her breast. He just laid his hand on her heart, on her chest, so but it bad. was so jarring and it was so 
weird. Mm-hmm. And it was very clear that she had just been taken advantage of, but like, what do you do with that? Like, what do you do with that? Say this guy, like put his hand on my heart. Okay. Do you want to press charges? Like, can you press right. charge? Like, what does that look like? Right. Like you're left feeling, um, what's the word violated, violated. You're left feeling violated. And I attribute so much to this, to these almost, I don't know how else to put it, but these like insecure loser scumbags, like who treats a woman like that? Right. And it's like, they think that it's Hollywood and it's cool. And you can't exactly. Cause who's going to report that? Like, again, there's no framework. There's no framework. There's no. And also he like got up and left. So in the moment. And this is another thing that I think a lot of people don't talk about. Um, I feel like we're only given the example of someone who like really immediately loudly says no, like fuck off. Right. Mm -hmm. Or someone who's like meek and, and like shy and, you know, just takes it right. We're only sort of given those two examples a lot of the times, but there's a huge spectrum in between. And what isn't talked about a lot and I'm sure you've experienced it. I've certainly experienced it where in the immediate aftermath, your body, like your nervous system takes over and biologically, like you don't control what happens. And most of us freeze. Most of us are like, this input is not input that I'm used to. I don't know how to handle this man's hand on my chest. And then when he leaves, you're like, should I have said something like, what the fuck was that? And you're just left with the feeling Mm -hmm. of, and I remember that to this day, that story was like, that didn't even happen to me. Mm -hmm. And it happened like like eight years ago. And I still remember it and feel disgusting when I hear it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it stays with you. And it's because you talk about it being, I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to think if I've experienced it to such an extent. I think, I mean, I know I joked about it, but I really think my resting bitch face from born and bred in the tri-state has done wonders because I'm like, just please don't come in a 10 foot fucking radius yeah. of me. But, um, that's where it does get, I had, um, I don't know if you've heard of her Alexis Lemire. I had her on my show. I think, I believe she was on a Netflix show too, but mm. she's big up and coming actress. And we talked about the desperation and we, you yeah. and I talked about it earlier, like the desperation of being in this business. And that's where it's not so black and white because right if you have instances like these, again, where it's not so big that you report it, but it's also, it's that thing where you're so desperate. Like you're working a side waitress job. You're doing this, you're on the grind, you're working in a Starbucks. And so you'll take any little shot you can get. And even if it's like someone like, you know, again, there's a line where you're like, no, I'm not going to deal with this scumbag. I'll find another way. But there's also like a part where you're like, again, it's like that do what it takes. And I don't Mm -hmm. want to, this might be it. This might be my thing. So I just, do I just shut up and take it? And again, you know, someone being like, you know, you got to suck my dick for this role again, uh, you know, beyond, you know, abhorrent, but it's that idea where it gets very gray because you don't know who they know, who they're connected to, who they, if they can block you from other opportunities, if it's your ticket of this, and that's where it gets really fucked up. It does. It does. And the other thing too, that, um, that I think about a lot, <laughs> probably more than I should, 
Um, but I've never, I don't know the answer is what happens to all of the audition footage, right? Like I'm thinking about in particular, a moment where I did walk out of something. I walked out of an audition because the sides changed, the script changed, and I saw something buried in the script that I didn't initially see. And I got a call back for this role. Um, and without like getting too in the weeds, it was for a very well-known horror franchise. And it was for a part that seemed like really fun and juicy and cool. And I'd never done anything like that before. And the initial audition went great. And then I got the sides for the callback and there was a mention of anal sex and having to talk about liking it and stuff. And I thought like, okay, a, that's not at all what the character was represented as in the beginning of this. Like I would not have gone in for this initial audition if I had known this, um, about this character and having to do this on a set, like, this is not going to be something that I want to live on in perpetuity. That's just my personal desire. Mm -hmm. So I tell my agent, I'm not going to go in for this callback because of this line and this part of the role, I'm not famous enough to have control over them changing the script. So I'm just not going to go in for the callback. Mm -hmm. And he was so mad at me. And he was Mm -hmm. like, this is a huge casting office. This is a huge franchise. Like you could really be burning a serious bridge here. Like I put my neck out for you, getting you this initial audition and they want you back and you're saying no. And it was really like that, again, that feeling of powerlessness, but also just being like, I'm never going to be okay saying this, especially on camera. And then I was like, Later, way later, I was like, what happens to all of the footage of all of the girls who don't get the part who come in and are saying these lines really convincingly mm-hmm. and they've got them on camera? Like what happens to that footage? Who, who gets that? Uh, who's entrusted to delete that hard drive? Nobody. Right? I think that speaks to so many things. Number one, like the gratuitousness, like I'm all about. I mean, I was in Playboy for crying out loud. Like I'm all about sexual freedom, but like, why do we need to be hearing about anal sex in a horror movie? Like that's number one. Number two, like, what is the reason, right? Number Mm -hmm. two is, um, you bring up a really good point, which is not only like the people on the set who could get you the, you know, but like the representation and then say, you're like, no, I don't want to do it. Then you have to go find another rep. Do you know how hard it is so hard guys to like, yeah, yeah. It goes really deep, right? The consequences are very real. They're very, very real. So you said, I'm not doing it. Yeah. I didn't go. And then what ended up happening with I never got called in by that casting office ever again. Casting office, yeah. Um, and my rep, I didn't get auditions for a while, and then um, not a while, not like a super long time, but uh, a different casting director who knew me and loved me wanted me specifically to come in for a different role, and then I was back in my agent's good graces. But it was, (laughs) it was an exercise that I'm really grateful to have had because I saw like, yeah, there was a consequence. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't work for a few months. I didn't have any opportunities for a few months because of that decision, but what was the alternative? 
right? Like at what cost? You know, at what it's, cost? it's sad because I always, you know, tell myself, even when I hear stories or if I, if I think back when I was starting out, putting myself in these positions and I always tell myself like, it's not worth it. Walk away. And it's, it's sad and it's shitty that it even has to be that way. Right. But I always tell myself like the right thing that will re- respect me and my integrity and what I'm trying to do that will come in the way it's supposed to come and how it's yeah. meant to be. And yeah. again, it's just, it's shitty because it shouldn't even have to be that way. Right. Like it should be right. that all the time. It shouldn't mm-hmm. be. If I put my foot down to this person, because again, it's like, this could be my break. This could be it. Um, that'll, you know, that'll be it then it's just, you know, it shouldn't be that way. But I I've always, even to this day as a 31 year old, I'm like, you know what, like the right people at the right time and the right path will respect, you know, my ethics and what I'm about period. Right. Well, and the other thing I want to mention is it's not like I flew off the handle and went crazy and was like, why the fuck did you get me this? Like I was disgustingly polite right? I was so apologetic. I was like, I completely understand that you put yourself out there and got me this audition for this huge franchise. Mm -hmm. Like I'm so grateful and I'm so sorry. And I still got treated like that. Right. So the point that what I'm trying to say there is like, it has nothing to do with the person saying no and everything to do with people feeling powerless. Right. Like it, mm-hmm. it comes back to, I'm sure that my agent felt powerless. I right? was just going to say that even the casting people, like their desperation of being like, well, Kelsey, if you turn this down, we work so hard for it. They're not going to work with us. Like everybody's desperate and out looking for them out for themselves. That's it. Right. And you know, what's so ironic too, Taylor is that like the actors who are most sought after are the ones who actually are above it a little bit and who are like, can be choosy and who decide to be choosy and who are like, mm, I'm not going in for that. We're like, but Oh, this you, is interesting. But does that, well, first of all, this is a twofold. Number one, mm. do you think that male actors are in the same predicament? Like if they're like, fuck, no, I'm not doing that. Would they get the same treatment? And to your point just now, do you think that only goes for like the vets or people who have been in it? Or even if you're up and coming, like there's power in being like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do I that. I think there's always power in saying no, when it doesn't align with who you are. I think that because what that does is it, you present in a completely different way. Let's get super hippie woo woo LA for a moment. The energy you walk into a room with absolutely affects what opportunities come your way. If you're coming in from a place of desperation and like smallness, then you will be perceived as desperate and small and someone who can be taken advantage of. If you come in with a, I don't need this, but like you would be lucky to have me. It's a very different room. It's a very different feeling and you get treated differently, like completely. It takes time. I've even noticed it. I mean, I've been on the entrepreneurial grind before my podcast. I had my own site, Talk to Me Taylor, where I interviewed celebrities. Same mm. idea as this about yes. kind of out of the box, um, you know, irreverent, really going there. And it's funny, Kelsey, because I used to be 
we get rejected all the time, you know, oh, in yeah. this business. And I used to be crushed when, uh, you know, I got turned down or I pitched a, you know, celeb interview and they were like, no, not this time. And I've, it's taken, it's a process and it's not it's overnight process. what you're talking about. You're but so it's right. So night and day, like now I'm like, okay, fuck it. You're lost. And I sincerely mean that. And it's just like that, take it or leave it. And it gives you such a power. Cause I used to be that desperate person. And even yeah. now in meetings, like I'll find myself when I pitch my show and try to sell it, you know, and I have to really check that back. I don't know if that's a woman thing, an entrepreneurial thing, um, you know, a show business thing, but really checking that back and being like, having that confidence and being like, you know what, not your loss. And there yeah. is, there's, and you notice how people react. There's such, there's just, just a different air about you. There's also, I think, I think there's wisdom that comes with age. I think that (laughs) like at this point in my life, I have walked away so many times from identities, industries, specific jobs, relationships, living situations. I have had so much practice that now it's like second nature where I'm like, this is no longer in alignment with where I want to be and what I want to do and who I am. Uh So I either change the situation or I leave the situation. And that is always within our power, right? Like that is, that ball is always in our court. And I think that that is the difference between Kelsey five years ago and Kelsey today. Kelsey five years ago was like, why is this happening to me? Why can't, why is everyone like against me or why can't I catch this break? Why is the victim mentality? I talk about it constantly. Yeah. 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 And it really took like, this is as Taylor said, it takes time and practice and energy and a lot of like watching of Ted talks on YouTube ad nauseum for a year to like really understand and really start that journey of like, okay. My job is not my identity, even if it is really important to me, even if I am really passionate about it. I was very lucky to find a second career that, that really fulfilled me in the same artistic way that acting used to fulfill me. And it was only when I got really specific about, okay, why did I start acting as a career in the first place? What was that magic spark that really like made me feel alive? And that's gone now. Like that's no longer acting for me. So how do I get that back? Oh, I don't miss it at all. I don't miss it at all. But here's, here's what I do miss. I miss the creative camaraderie of being on set. I miss like people coming together to make something Mm -hmm. and then with film in particular, getting to actually see the result Mm -hmm. is really, really cool. And I miss that. I miss sometimes the actual work, but what people don't understand unless they're in the business is the actual work is maybe 1% of your job. 99% is marketing yourself, Mm -hmm. getting your reps, um, following up on like what casting directors are doing, what shows, what shows am I right for? Um, what's my type? How do I break out of my type? Um, can I get this commercial because I need to feed myself and pay my rent? Um, what is the union doing right now? 
non-union commercials are the thing now because union commercials aren't paying what they used to like there's so many other aspects of being a professional actor that have nothing to do with acting and mm-hmm. so if you can like that's not to say that every person who wants to be a professional actor shouldn't be a professional actor that is not what i'm saying like what i'm saying is get your mind right get your soul right so that when you walk into those rooms and you do have those opportunities that you've made for yourself you're coming in from a place of power it, not from a place it, of desperation it, because it will it'll chew you up and spit you out period yeah. like this whole business um back to men you know your former male colleagues would you yeah. see them say again it was the thing where they were just like i'm not having this mm. in a script i'm not doing this do you think they would get the same uh treatment that is a really interesting question that i kind of don't know how to answer because i am not a man right but what i will say is i absolutely see the desperation of male actors and male colleagues and one area where I think there is so much growth still to be done in Hollywood is um, men in particular being comfortable letting their sexuality be public if they are not cis hetero. Um, Here's what I mean by that. There is still so much work to be done with embracing male actors who are gay, male actors who are just anything other than white straight male (laughs) Um, and bringing them in for roles that are the romantic lead, that are like, you know, the more traditional parts instead of typecasting them into like the gay best friend or whatever. Because I think that... (sighs) I I still think there's so much work to be done there. And that's what really comes to the forefront of my mind when you ask me that question. That's really interesting because I actually just found out, I don't know if you know this, but the lead of this season of Bridgerton, why is Netflix like genuinely taking over the world? I'm concerned. Um, He uh, is gay gay. in real life. Yes, yes, exactly. And that is, that's a really positive thing. And I'm really glad that that conversation is being had. And my hope is that that becomes so common. We don't even have to talk about it. Do you know what I mean? Like, here's a question for you, because the reason I know this is because I did a live stream with my friends over at the ivory tower boiler. They have a great uh, podcast. The lead Andrew is gay and amazing. And we talked about this. Um, and he, he's the one who told me he's gay in real life. I'm like, no way. And here's the interesting thing though. We kind of both acknowledged that gay gay men and straight women on screen, there's almost like a little bit of that chemistry missing. And it's like, how much can you fake that? Like if you are a guy attracted to guys, like how much acting can convince us like the, the women, like that chemistry. So that's what's interesting because I'm like, he even acknowledged, he's like, yeah, it's like really not quite the same. Like something is just like missing there. That's not coming through on the screen. So I don't know how you feel about that, but I disagree. I disagree. Um, here's why I watched that second season of Bridgerton. It was fucking great. 
I loved watching that guy. The tension, the chemistry. Oh yeah. And also season one, he had a great through line with the like opera girl, whatever. Yeah. Totally I did not know hot. he was gay in real life. There. Well, yes. So my point is if you did not know that he was gay and was attracted to men, would you have had the same experience watching it? Right. Because to me, like I didn't know watching that whole first season. And I thought, oh my God, that guy is so hot. That, that relationship is so hot. These sex scenes are so hot and ditto season two, when he was lead, oh my God, he's so captivating on screen. And it's not just about like, he is the, you know, it's not just about the sex here. It's a, it's about like him building this character and the tension and, um, like wanting to be that like older son and, and all of these amazing things that I'm sure he could draw on his experience as a gay man and feeling like he wanted to perform and like be the man of the house. Right. Like his performance was probably positively informed by his experience as a gay man. And it's only after we know he's gay that I've heard people start to say, well, I don't know if I believe like the, but all of season one, everyone was obsessed with this dude. So (laughs) you're like, your panties are all excited. (laughs) Season one, people. I yeah. think I have, I might just have a bad gaydar because I have people like in the business because I wouldn't know. And I have people in the business gay straight. They're like, no, you can, you can just tell like they don't have eyes for a lady. They would like, you could just tell because you are who you are and you're attracted to who you're attracted to. So maybe my gaydar is off, but with that <laughs> said, and then before I wrap us, before I pivot lastly to like the clusterfuck that is womanhood right now, <laughs> um, This idea that we've played with in the last kind of segment of, you know, human nature, play, sexuality, being attracted, and when you draw a line and when it's not okay. So Mm. Entourage is coming back. I don't know if you watch Entourage. I love Entourage. When I heard that um, it, it was coming back last year in some way, shape, or form, I did an episode talking about it because people claim that it's so misogynistic. And I kind of claim, you know what? It's guys being guys. They love and sexualize and objectify women. Like it's what they do. It's how from teen years, their brains are wired. You know, they're if they're not hurting anybody and just kind of being guys, um, let them live. It's what they do. Right. So your thoughts on that, you know, seeing as how, like, I'm curious to see how it comes back. Um, and if they like are cognizant and try to be all PC about it now, but again, your thoughts on human nature and the fun and the play versus like drawing a line. Hmm. Well, it's a little difficult for me to speak to this because I've never seen entourage. Um, and I don't really have a baseline understanding even of what this show is. So if it's okay with you, I'll just pivot a little bit and talk about um, a show with a similar uh, criticism, which is Mad Men. So I, these are, this is my thinking on art and uh, showing a part of society that is, that needs to be worked on perhaps. (laughs) I believe so. Okay. Back to mad men specifically. I was, um, obsessed with it when it came out. I thought it was like the best show ever. I thought Don Draper was one of the most interesting (laughs) anti-heroes. I was obsessed with Peggy Olson. Like I was just like, this show is genius. It's one of the best shows ever made. Right. 
And that was back in 2009, 10, somewhere around there. So over 10 years ago. Right. And that show lasted, I think five seasons or something. And the whole, I was obsessed with it the whole time. Cut to 2020 pandemic times. We're all starting to rewatch some old favorites. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go back and watch Mad Men. And I turn it on and I'm like, holy shit, this is really rough on women. And there are a lot of affairs. And I like knew it when I was watching it at the time when they made it. And now I'm watching. I was going to yeah. say, isn't, is part of it? I only watched the pilot. So guilty, mm-hmm. like we're, we're flipped. So, guilty of the same thing. My yes. 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 But was part of it like exploiting and shining a light on how shitty women were treated at the time. So that is my exact point is like, when a show is made, we have to remember that it is going to be a product of its time when a movie is made also like, and there is great opportunity to have shows be a teaching moment. And what's really, really cool is when time passes and society hopefully has evolved and we go back and we see these shows, now we feel uncomfortable. And the, the beauty is, oh, I now feel uncomfortable. I'm going to sit in this uncomfortable feeling because now I understand that this isn't would imply. Yeah. Like this is not good, but at the same time, like it, our, our thinking changes like time there. I think of it. I think of this with books too. Like sometimes people say things in books that they, you know, 10 years down the road are like, fuck, I shouldn't have said that that way, but it's like a, a time capsule right? Yes. So with Entourage, I don't know what the new show is going to be. I don't know what the old show was, but I do know that the old show, from what I hear from people who were watching it and absorbing it, and a lot of people loved that show. I think it is the same. I think it's a time capsule. And I think it, I think different people will react to it in different ways. And it might be triggering for some, and it might make some people think differently about their own behavior or I don't know. I don't know what's going to be. I love your book. Uh, I love your book point because Mm. that is something that really grinds my gears. Obviously the nature of my show is this whole like book burning we're doing now with on Mm. both sides of the aisle on all sides, like prohibiting this and not allowing classic books to be taught in school. And it's your point. It's like, that's what she rolled her eyes, right? It's like, this is what it was at the time. It doesn't serve us erasing history, people. Like, Correct. give me a break. And yeah, that drives me nuts. Like, even like on Amazon, Target, they'll they'll get rid of books. We're hearing schools, you know, politicians. I mean, it's it's out of control. It's disgusting. It is out of control. And here's the thing is like, those the, we're erasing teaching moments, yeah, right? It's like what it was. you can't, you can't put blinders on and whitewash no. things and just disney everything. I mean, <laughs> bringing it back to Disney, but like you can't present, especially children and young minds with a world where we're just like, don't look over there. Don't look over there. Like that's not okay. No. You need to teach the bad things that have happened in order for those bad things to not repeat themselves. Like you have to. And when it comes right. to like canceling someone, just, you know, theme of that show for something that they said 10 years ago in a tweet, um, like 
yes, sometimes they deserve it. Sometimes it is so horrifying what someone said that they need to be held accountable for the thing. However, I think there are a lot of times where we need to treat things that people say publicly as the time capsule that they are and to use it as a teaching moment and a learning moment and a opportunity for accountability and change instead of let's just completely erase it and act like it never happened and pretend that that person just never was born. (laughs) Like it's, Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, one of my recent guests said this, we were talking about Morgan Wallen, the country singer, and she had a, she she put it so eloquently and so beautifully, but it's that idea of like, again, if it's, if it's abhorrent and it's not okay to society, it's not okay, period. But at what point is it like, if they offer something, you know, they make a human error and they offer something, they're an artist and creative Mm -hmm. and they offer something beautiful to the world, let them perform, let them sing, let them dance, let them act, let them, you know, add something to society. Mm -hmm. You know, that idea I think is important. Oh yeah. And I also think that there are big sweeping statements that we can all make, but truly I think the best most meaningful change comes in case by case basis. Like, yeah, exactly. It, it really depends on what does accountability look like for that particular person yeah. and that particular action and that particular moment. Like, yeah. and yeah, exactly. you know, it's yeah, it's not a one size fits all. It's not a one size fits um, all. I just want you to clarify with the Mad Men. Were you talking mm. about um, the way it portrayed women? Because the show takes place is it the fifties, right? Yeah, are you like talking the, about the early sixties, or are you talking about when it was shot? Even that nature of, or you're talking about both sixties. I'm talking about both. So I think that Mad Men in particular, what they did was they showed it like it was, which was women were completely devalued and sexualized in the workplace. Absolutely. Like doormats, Um, basically. Total doormat. I mean, God, Joan is one of the most incredible characters and same with Peggy, the copywriter. So of course she has a special place in my soft, soft heart. Um, But like watching it through the lens now of like, oh, this would get made completely differently to make the same point today than it would, than how they did it in 2010. Like it was a very, very different feeling. So I think it's kind of one of those things that you sort of have to watch it. It's both. It's like, yes, the sixties were horrible for women for many reasons. And they had little to no power or options. You, you had to get married. Um, If you wanted to be in the working world, you had to act and dress in a certain way, like the secretary, Yes. And like the way that spoiler alert, but whatever the show's like 10 years old, the way <laughs> yeah, that Joan makes, yeah, no, the way that Joan makes partners, she sleeps with the ad exec from Jaguar. Um, and, uh, she like has it in her contract. Like if I do this, my name is on the door. I make partner. And, um, it, is a really fascinating look at what options were available to women at that time, but also shining a light on, well, is it really that different? Like in some ways we have to sell ourselves out to make partner still to this day. Right. Or we have to like act in a certain way to be respected by our male colleagues or colleagues in the space and it's getting better, but 
to the point of Mad Men specifically, like they also glorify the men's behavior in a way that is uncomfortable to me. So it's not just about the way the women are being treated. It's about the way the men are being celebrated. And that's what's really tough for me to watch. In the workplace, like when they have wins and like pat each other on the back, that type of thing. Yeah, but also the characters are very glorified, right? So Don Draper is this anti-hero. You love him. People fucking love John yeah. in that role. He's a sex symbol, yep. right? Um, so you really have to think like, okay, uh, why in 2010 did I think this behavior was, or did I think like this character was sexy? Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. But again, it's just how times change really affects how we look back and watch things, you know, exactly. It's all about that time capsule mentality. Like, like really watching something and being like, you know, it wasn't okay to say, um, the F word in regards to a gay person, but it's in this movie because it's a product of its time. Right. 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 Yeah. You know, interesting. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's a good kind of segue into the last thing before we wrap is womanhood and where Mm. we stand right now. So I know that this is a lot to unpack, but I'm just, cause there's so many things coming to a head. It's all very mishmash and it's a mess. So I'm just going to throw out a few things. Okay. Go for it. Okay. So number one, obviously we talked about this, but how unrealistic, um, social media, the filters, the over the top, the plastic surgery, it's getting with younger and younger girls, like the whole Kardashian. And then they pass it all off as real, like that whole thing. Hey, that's, that's number one, like the whole Mm -hmm. body image thing, um, versus, you know, just being natural and doing it your way. Um, also mixed signals, you know, a lot of women feel like with this whole era of like fluid and anyone could be a woman, it's like, I respect you and your decision, but at the same time, like respect biological women in our lane and our experience and what we've had now again with this whole thing of like well really in theory anyone can be a woman um the whole chloe kardashian tristan thompson thing i think is a i don't know if you're up to speed on this but basically this guy has cheated on her like a million times and while she was pregnant this whole thing and we just find out she's having another baby with him via surrogate and everyone's like this is not what strong womanhood is about what are you doing maybe it's judgments against her okay um also the idea i know this is a lot like i said but these are all kind of touch like hot button things right now um also the idea of like women taking the place of man men that whole idea instead of being in two respective lanes that idea of like i don't need a man or i'm gonna be the man like that that whole thing and how could we forget the overturn of Roe v. Wade right and a lot of I did a whole episode on it yes and you know women just feeling like what the actual fuck is going on um in terms of our place our choices so you know our identity so I know that's a lot going on in this fucking snow snow globe from hell um but with all of that said How are you, is there any one of those topics that strikes a chord with you? How do you, or, and, or if you see it from a bird's eye view where we're going and, you know, womanhood as it stands right now in the chaos. Absolutely. Oh, so many thoughts, so many feelings. Okay. Let's start with Roe v. Wade. I will 
forever be of the opinion that even if you are scared of speaking up and speaking out, you should try to speak up anyway. Um, I think a lot of us, especially privileged cis white women, we stay silent on subjects because we think, oh, well, that's not my place, or I don't want it to get messy, or I don't want to get political, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing, not getting political is no longer an option. Um, Our rights are being political. Everything is political. Our rights are being taken away. And here's the thing. Sometimes it takes it getting personal for people to wake up. I believe very much in fighting for trans rights, LGBTQIA rights, um, Black people's rights, uh, BIPOC rights, because we have to care about other people's rights being protected because when those people's rights fall, we're next. Even like the, the throwing paint on the walls that I just did of all the things going on with womanhood and where mm-hmm. even women in our, in and of ourselves, like see things so differently. Yeah. This is what even makes things so convoluted. And I talked about this after looking at the stats in my episode on it is that more women, first of all, like most of this country agrees that abortion should be accessible in within reasonable bounds. That's number one. But number two mm-hmm. is that actually women advocate for it to be illegal across the board more than men, mm. which is fucking wild. But mm. it just goes to show you how everything is so messy. Like even within the idea of being a woman. Yeah. Yes. And yes. And I think that (laughs) if I may play therapist for a moment, and I'm going to actually bring this back to acting and some unpacking that I did in my own psyche, my own life with understanding how deeply I was fucked up in thinking only in terms of what role can I play in the world? Right. So when you're an actor, you get used to plugging yourself into other people's roles that they have for you, other people's boxes. Mm -hmm. You try so desperately to fit them. Right. And I think that we may be able to use that framework here with the idea of being a woman and um, identifying with a particular political party or having a particular opinion, because at our core, biologically humans are wired to want belonging. We are wired to want belonging. Mm -hmm. And if we're not put in a situation where we examine, why do I have this opinion? Why do I have this thought nine times out of 10, I have found in my experience, it's because I was trying to belong or fit a role. And it only was when I got really honest with myself about, well, why do I believe that? Do I really believe that? What other options of beliefs are out there? I can form my own belief system. I don't think it is messy. I think the world is messy, but I think we are actually quite simple. I think it's quite simple to slow down and be like, what do I believe? Why do I believe it really? And how can I advocate in a way that aligns with my values and keeps me sane, keeps my mental health sane. Because 
if we're all just screaming into the void, then yeah, it is messy. It is really hard Mm -hmm. to hear ourselves and to hear our intuition and to hear the way that we move forward and make the world a better place. It's hard when we're screaming into the void. It's impossible. And I love your point about being so tribal. I mean, even with this show, it's why people are like, cannot compute, like their brains explode because I'll go (laughs) after both sides. I'll agree with both sides. And Mm -hmm. because we've become so polarized, people can't seem to wrap. I mean, on one end, they're like, it's what's so refreshing, but they're like, I can't wrap what? I can't wrap my brain around it, right? Because we've become so extreme. So when we are acting from that place of fear, we automatically just want that safety and that belonging. And we just want to talk to people who agree with us because it's so uncomfortable and scary, like biologically survival alarm bells go off in our brain, right? We feel like we're literally under attack, which is why if we don't start collectively trying to heal and invite people in to have conversations. And as you said, look at both sides, Mm -hmm. listen to both sides, understand both sides. Like I want to talk to someone who feels differently from me so that I can better understand where they're coming from so that hopefully we can find that common ground and start to heal because like, we, we have to, we have to, it's literally life or death. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Kelsey, lastly, what, given everything that I just kind of laid out and that we talked about, what excites you about being a woman right now? Oh man. Okay. Musical theater nerd moment. Um, do you know Hamilton? Do you know the musical Hamilton? I, I know it, but you know, of it. Oh, I okay. It. No, it's totally fine. So there's, I mean, again, full musical theater nerd over here. There is a line at the begin in one of the beginning songs called look around, look around how lucky we are to be alive right now. And it's about the revolutionary war and they're like in wartime and everything is completely up in the air. They have no idea. Are they an independent country? Are they not an independent country? Um, There's a lot of strife and a lot of political upheaval and um, slavery is happening and people are speaking out. and And I remember watching that at the time and being like, oh my God, what a mindset shift. Instead of being like, I hate being alive right now. Everything is so scary and up in the air to shift of like, oh my God, how lucky we are to be alive right now. How lucky we are to witness what's happening. What's exciting to me is I am in a time where so many ideas are so easily accessible because of the internet, because of podcasts like this one, because of social media. I can learn so much about people's experience and I can share my personal experience in a way where I'm much more likely to be heard now. Like what an amazing gift to live in a time where I have the opportunity to speak out about the things that I care about, especially as it regards being a woman and being a female identifying person. I'm so happy to have the opportunity to be part of the conversation Mm -hmm. and to put my money where my mouth is and walk the walk. 
It's the best. Like, I don't know about you, but I've, I've just had this awakening lately and my listeners are a little bit along for the ride, just really stepping into my womanhood. I've always been Mm. so proud of being a woman, but just lately, I don't know what it is. It's like the kind of the, the end of the dark, like pandemic and coming like the butterfly, you know, like the caterpillar shedding into a butterfly in so many ways, like mentally and physically and taking care of myself and embracing my body and all these things. And Guys, like I love you, but you're missing out because it is so fucking amazing to to be us. It <laughs> is. Know, but... It is amazing. You, yeah. On Wednesdays, we wear pink. Whatever. <laughs> but, but also, and I want to end it by saying this. You know, not to end on a dark note, but I really appreciate what you just said about how lucky we are to be mm-hmm. alive and to be exchanging ideas and to be doing this because I feel I was just having this thought yesterday, but I feel like the world, it it is such sheer chaos and it's such a mess. And I hate when I have these interviews, like I had a junket recently and, you know, and I feel like people in Hollywood are trained to sugarcoat everything. So they'll be like, I'm grateful for this. Oh, life is good. Yeah. Change is happening. And it's like, okay, we're all like suffering in silence, like not Right. right. Especially right now. And I feel like every day, almost I get the news alerts on my phone Mm. for better or worse. And it's a young person dying by suicide. It's Mm. a young famous person. It's because people feel so helpless. They look around and they're like, what is the fucking point? Because it's such a sad, chaotic, messy time. Mm -hmm. And I just want to thank you for really giving people that hope listening of saying, Mm. Hey, we have all of these things and, you know, we're going to like, fucking make lemonade and there's reason to keep going and to be happy to be alive and for what we have. So I really want to thank you for ending it on that note. Of course. And I would love to just say that the, you know, this is a breakup ism, but the best revenge is living well. Right. And I feel, yeah. And I feel that politically also like the best revenge, if you want to call it that the best way to stick it to the powers that be that are trying to devalue you and deprive you of your power is to live well and to seek joy and to make shit whatever it is like even if you think of like the shitty last two three years Mm -hmm. or breakup or like the people in power or whoever it is you're exactly right it's like owning your own power and confidence. And there is just nothing like it. Like I said, it just gives you this kind of air um, mm. about you. So Kelsey foremost, all I can say is <laughs> Hollywood, eat your heart out. You're missing <laughs> out. Thank you so much. What a joy. Thank you, Taylor. This was such a fun, interesting conversation, man. That was great. I love digging deep on stuff. I feel like podcasts are an excuse to get people to have deep conversations with me. So I appreciate it. It is like my wet dream because this is what I always tried to do in my yeah. interviews and on the red carpet and working for like all the, you know, the vultures us weekly. And I could never get, I, you know, I yeah, did, you but just it was so hard have- to get there. Oh yeah. And you don't, you don't get the long form conversation like this anywhere else to get to deeper and deeper and deeper digging and diving. So yeah, totally. I appreciate you for going there. You don't eat when you were talking, my brain was like, I could go here. I could go here. I could go here. I could go here, which is like my heaven. So thank you Kelsey so much. Such a true joy. 